following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, I don't know um, why, but I've noticed this year more than ever before how rudely we are thrust into the Christmas season. Um, is this me? Or have you noticed this this year more too? Uh, maybe it's just that the places where I consume media, Facebook and Twitter and the internet in general, um, sort of seemed this year to mobilize all at once into a giant anti-Black Friday pitchfork mob. Um, <laughs> you know, in response to a few retailers opening one hour earlier on Thanksgiving Day this year than they did last year. Um, there was, I think, perhaps a little bit of faux outrage. Um, I, I maybe had some myself. Maybe it is that the commercialization of Christmas is worse this year than last year, but if you remember, Linus was complaining about that to Charlie Brown back in 1965. Um, so I don't think it's a new phenomenon. More likely, I think that it might be something about me. Um, something that makes me more cynical, more distracted, more irritable, less present, less attentive, less engaged. And the truth is that in my line of work, this is a very busy season, not quite as much as when I used to work in retail, but uh, working as a religious professional, as I do, um, normally the summer is pretty slow, and then fall picks up, and then Advent and Christmas season is like, you know, that's, uh, that's a big deal. It's very busy. And um, we had a busier than usual summer, as you might remember. I just want to confess to you that it is easier for me than I would like to become detached and dispassionate and to approach this entire season strategically as a function of my career, as something that I need to, uh, for which I need to generate output and content. It's actually much easier for me to do that, to work a little bit harder and to crank out a little bit more stuff than it is for me to actually stop and absorb what's going on spiritually. To stop and let the, the season and its purpose soak into my skin and, and change a little bit of who I am. That being said, I don't think you have to be a religious professional to resonate with some of what I'm saying, to succumb to the temptation to treat the holidays like a project to be managed, a to-do list to be completed exactly like the other ones you do all year round, except it has a little picture of holly berries at the top. Maybe even as a painful trial to endure, head down, get through it. I suspect all of you feel something like that to some degree. There's so much to do that it's almost impossible just to, to, to be, right? That old Stuart Smalley thing, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Right? It's hard, hard this time of year not to become a human doing. We load up on turkey and pie and various 
recipes for eggnog Thanksgiving Day. And as soon as we uh, wake up from our food coma, it's off to the races. Shopping, decorating, baking, Christmas cards, gift lists. Non-stop stuff from Black Friday until, good Lord, it's Christmas already. I saw your pictures on Facebook the last couple of days. I know what you've been up to. <laughs> I ain't Santa Claus. I don't see you when you're sleeping, but I do know where some of you were shopping and what you were hanging on your walls and in your apartments. And It's great stuff. But was it one more busy thing that you had to do in the last couple of days? Probably it was. Here's the thing. All that rushing around that results when we observe the Christmas season this way is toxic to our souls. The rushing is toxic to our souls. That's why we sang that song, Slow Me Down, O Lord, Slow Me Down. It's really one of the big things that the season of Advent is about. It's about an intentional period of waiting and anticipation period of slowing down and reflection. You go right from turkey to candy canes and there's like there's nothing. There's no space in between. Advent says no, there is space in between. You don't you don't get the joy of Christmas without thinking about some of those other periods of darkness in our souls, in the, in the grand history of the world. There's times when we were not sitting around the tree with rosy cheeks, but we were up late with a screaming baby or out late fighting with our partner. When we were sitting alone in the dark, wishing there was somebody to fight with. For the people of Israel, when they're going through this period of centuries when nothing is happening, they're not even writing new books of the Bible. And they wrote a lot of books of the Bible in their story. There's empty space that comes before Christmas. So that's Advent. And the Christian church has, has long celebrated Advent in the weeks leading up to Christmas. And unfortunately, that's something that has been lost, not just in our culture at large, because please, do we need any more culture warriors in the church? You take the Christ out of Christmas. Shut up. <laughs> right? No. Why don't you... That's a distraction, Okay? That is a distraction. Like I said, I got in a big like sideways rant the first week of that series about how all the stuff about creation and evolution and all that crap is a distraction from the theological points that are made in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the same thing. All that culture war nonsense about Christmas is a distraction from the observance of the season. Whew. Put it in reverse. Come back to, the, back to the road here. The church has not, in uh, the little sectors of the church that we sort of inhabit, and most of us grew up in, perhaps, if you did grow up in the church, um, but not all of us, but anyway, have, have kind of neglected Advent as a, as a season. It's actually the beginning of the Christian year, 
today is the first day of the Christian calendar, first Sunday in Advent. And that's something that we aim to recover at Artisan Church, part of our value of being rooted in the historic Christianity. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to ask Jesse Pierce to come up and uh, talk with us a little bit. Jesse is a member of our leadership team. He is an historian. Um, (laughs) Is that snooty enough if I say it that way? Okay. And uh, he's also a church history buff, and and not just because he likes history, but also because um, he's got some personal experience with with this making a difference in his own life. So um, I've asked Jesse to to answer a couple of questions about this season and and, um, help us get oriented to it and and understand what it's about and, and so forth. So... Jesse, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit of personal story. What what got you started being interested in church history and interested in liturgical calendars and that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, it is. We probably felt okay. close. There you go. Um, well, I grew up in a super, super contemporary church. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and my dad and his uh, brothers and my grandparents, they had a pretty hardcore you know, conversion experience away from what they considered to be a lifeless kind of Catholicism uh, into, you know, a very exciting born-again Christianity. And so my dad's church that I grew up in, it really kind of spurned tradition. Tradition was a bad thing. Um, I grew up thinking that tradition in the context of church was uh, like a weight when Paul says to the Corinthians or whoever it was, lay aside every weight as you as you run this race. I viewed tradition as a weight to the Christian life. It's funny the extent that that went. Um, You know, growing up, my parents didn't expressly communicate this to me, but nonetheless, I got the impression growing up that it wasn't just my responsibility as a Christian to convert my non-believing friends into Christians, but I also thought it was my duty that if I had any uh, friends who were Christians in denominational churches or traditional backgrounds, I thought it was my job to kind of bring them out of it, because if you want to follow Christ, you can't be traditional anyway and it's, it's just funny that my my childhood was like that but it wasn't until I grew up uh, got out of the house at age 18 that I started to get into church history and that's a that's a story all by itself how I got into church history but um, I think being starved of, of tradition growing up gave me a hunger for it later on and I started to read lots of books on church history and there's a great uh, author his name is Robert Weber and uh, this book in particular had a big effect on me Ancient Future Time. He talks about the church calendar. Um, and it was his writings that really talked about younger evangelicals like myself rediscovering church history, rediscovering liturgy, uh, the church calendar, and putting it into their, you know, their modern context. That, um, that just had a huge effect on me. And in 2006, I believe it was, I went to my first Roman Catholic Mass. So for somebody like me, you know, super contemporary evangelical boy, Uh, to go to a Catholic service. I mean, that was a big step. But I was completely overwhelmed by the beauty of the service and the processions and the meaning behind everything. I was really taken with it. And so, you know, if my parents were no tradition, I've kind of, the pendulum has swung this way a little bit. And uh, there's just a lot of neat things, uh, church history-wise, that um, have helped my spiritual growth. Cool. Um, you wouldn't be the first person in history to to drift away from the particular type of religious upbringing that you <laughs> that you had, right? Um, so, what 
what place does the church year, the Christian calendar, have in our lives as Christians? What does that mean, and what does it mean for us? Well, I think it's um, it's one among many spiritual disciplines. We talk a lot about the spiritual disciplines here, um, whereas a lot of spiritual disciplines are more uh, personal in nature. Uh, the church calendar is a corporate uh, Experience. It's a corporate spiritual um, discipline that I think has a profound ability to shape us as a people. Um, but to answer this, um, I want to talk a little Old Testament for you. Um, I love the Old Testament. Uh, I hope I can be a good Christian and say that I love the Old Testament more than the New <laughs> Testament. I just I love the old stories and even those boring books after Exodus. I really get a kick out of those because I think they're just chock full of good stuff. And uh, one thing that has freshened up the Old Testament to me whenever I read it, there's two questions that I keep in mind as I read any Old Testament passage, particularly with those those boring books after Exodus. Uh, one is, what is to make God's people unique? How are they to stand out from the, the cultures and the nations around them? And two, how does the faith catch on? How does it catch on to, you know, children in God-honoring households? And how does it catch on to, you know, quote-unquote outsiders? And when you keep those questions in mind, if you allow that to be your lens, I think it'll be helpful. And as I've looked at the Old Testament, one thing that, uh, one conclusion is that God's people had a different view of time. Um, They celebrated time differently. God had his people work in these rhythms to their lives uh, that reminded them of God's love, of God's story, of God's intervention. Uh, their meals, their festivals, their community gatherings, all these holy convocations and stuff uh, impressed upon them God's story over and over again. And I kind of liken it to, you know, waves on a, on a beach. You know, you can go to the beach one day and were you to look at one particular pebble, you know, it would be shaped by the waves. And you could come back the next day and look at that particular pebble and it wouldn't be that different. But over time, those waves just keep washing over us. And that's what I think the church calendar is, is it uh, shapes us um, as a people. So let's take um, Passover, for example. Um, You know, God's story with the ancient Hebrews was related during a meal in which the event itself was reenacted. So multiple times a year, the Israelites would get together and they would reenact parts of their history as God's people, Um, which is a neat idea. I teach the kids over there about once a month. And the first time that I did it, I talked to the kids about reenacting. And I brought some home videos of some historic sites that I had been to where there were reenactors, you know, making fires the old-fashioned way. And I just, I talked with the kids about reenacting. And uh, we actually talked about the Festival of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, whatever you want to talk about it. Once a year, the Israelites would get together and they would just camp out in tents as a reminder of their ancestors going through the, the wilderness. And so there's just these cyclical, uh, circular patterns that have a big place in spiritual formation. Um, you know, we reenact here at the table every week, whether we look at it as reenacting or not. That's kind of what it is. Um, and what's fascinating to me is, I think the I think the scriptures imply that kids uh, are intrigued by these by these rhythms, by these seasons uh, that shape us as God's people. Um, multiple times in the Old Testament, it says uh, for parents, when your kids ask you, you know, why do we, why do we such and such, you know, the scriptures say you will reply because of what the Lord did. So God knows how kids' minds work. They latch on to these seasons. Parents, you know this, they latch on to seasons. They latch on to rhythmic celebrations. Um, they get really excited about it. 
And so that's what I love to do down at the other end of the hall each month is, is talk about the church calendar. And one of my favorite authors, Jane Claiborne, he says that God wins people over through fascination. And I think the church calendar, having us on a different time than the rest of society, it's one of those curious things about us that potentially win, wins people over. Hmm. Yeah, not only are we not doing Christmas on December 1st, right. we're actually doing New Year's. Right. So, on the church calendar, anyway. So, tell me a little bit more and tell, tell our folks a little bit more about the church calendar, what it consists of, um, what, what are the rhythms of, of the Christian faith? Well, I mean, like those Old Testament feasts, the church calendar, um, it centers our year on God, which is a really neat concept. Uh, it takes us above our, you know, our school semesters, our workplace fiscal years, and it centers our year on Christ. Um, again, it's that, that waves on the beach analogy that just shapes us over time. Each season in the church calendar has its own emphases um, on God's kingdom, on discipleship that we that we need to be regularly reminded of, uh, things that are easy to lose sight if they don't wash over us again and again. And so the church calendar, essentially, it centers around three different feasts, uh, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, and each of those seasons has its own, you know, lead-up time of preparation, and then you have the event itself, and then you have a season of proclamation. So you have expectation, fulfillment, proclamation, expectation, fulfillment, proclamation. Um, so it's just, it's really neat. Um, outside of those seasons, you have uh, ordinary time, which is a really boring way of saying, you know, most of the Sundays of the year. Uh, over in the kids' classes, we call them the great green growing Sundays of the church, which I think is way better than ordinary <laughs> time. It's way better. <laughs> Who can we talk to? <laughs> um, so in the season of Advent, expectation, fulfillment, and then proclamation, um, we're in the, the expectation part, right? And so what is the spiritual posture of Advent and, and our focus during this period of expectation? Uh, Advent traditionally focuses on the, the not yet aspects of the kingdom of God, which is something you've talked about recently uh, in recent weeks, living in that place of tension, the now and the not yet. So Advent really focuses on the not yet aspects of God's kingdom, and the resulting posture is a yearning for God to come, to break in, to make everything right, to make everything new. Um, it reminds us that our ultimate hope lies in God and in his direct intervention in our in our lives and in our world. And it's neat to me how Advent coincides, um, at least in the northern hemisphere, uh, with the days getting darker and darker outside. Uh, tra- traditionally, Christmas Eve is literally the darkest night of the year before Christ, his birth, uh, comes, the light of the world, and the days start getting lighter from Christmas Day onward. And for those of you who had uh, Advent wreaths as part of your uh, background around your dinner tables, maybe, you know that as Advent progresses, for the first week of Advent, you light one candle. For the second week of Advent, you light two candles. So as outside, it's getting darker and darker throughout Advent. Insides, around our tables, as we read the scriptures together and we light our Advent wreaths, uh, it gets brighter and brighter as we approach Christ's birth, this collision between God and man. So it's really neat. Um, so over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the three comings of Christ. You have uh, the second coming, which will be our focus next week. 
we'll also talk about Christ coming into our lives individually, um, how he's broken into each of our lives. And then uh, the last week we'll talk about uh, back in Bethlehem, what it was like for uh, God's people to wait for the, the Messiah. So you have the three comings of Christ that we'll talk about. And so each one of those comings of Christ has um, has an, its own kind of version of the not yet thing. You know, and speaking as a parent, um, and anybody who's been around small children, whether you're a parent or not, you may have had to say to a small kid, not yet. How do children respond to the words not yet? <laughs> um, rationally? Not my child. Um, I wonder, for us as children of God, if hearing not yet kind of like makes us want to have a spiritual temper tantrum. Um, and what, so why, why do we have to wait? What is, what is, the, is there a value in an importance of waiting and, and not rushing into the holidays like, like everybody else? Well, I mean, a lot of the Advent passages, they center around three uh, characters in the Bible. They center around Isaiah, John the Baptist, and Mary. And all three of those people were, they lived in expectancy for the, for the Messiah. And um, so that's what centers our, our thoughts around the Bible passages. And many of those Advent passages point out that if we don't put in some effort to prepare ourselves for God, we can miss God. Um, you know, how many of us have gone through the Christmas season in the past and it's just a, like you said, it's a flurry of activity, one thing after another. By the end of it, we're exhausted. Uh, we're wondering what the, the meaning of it all is. Where was God in all this? So that's the danger of not preparing ourselves. Is we can miss, hmm. we can miss God. So. That's a pretty significant danger. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Jesse. Um, great to hear your perspective on that stuff. Um, and thanks for uh, all your help in preparing this series. Jesse had a lot to do with preparing this series, much as Shane did with the Ambassadors of Reconciliation and Autumn did with the Reaching Out series that we did during the summer. Our leadership team has really stepped up in this way recently, um, and I'm grateful to to you for that. Um, so, one of the things that we will do during Advent is follow, sort of follow, <laughs> what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, a lectionary is simply a collection of biblical texts, and uh, it assigns four passages, usually, for each Sunday in the church calendar. There's an Old Testament reading, there's a psalm, there's an epistle, one of the letters in the New Testament, and then there's a gospel reading. And during Advent, and usually during Lent, we will um, try to read all four of those texts each Sunday. Now that requires us to, to kind of wedge them into our liturgy a little bit, because we just don't have space to read four texts every week, usually. It's not set up to do that every single week. Some churches do. All year round, use the lectionary. We tend to use it mostly at, mostly at these high holy seasons. So we are going to be hearing more scripture read aloud. And just to be honest with you, right up front, there's not going to be like a teaching from it all the time. I think that's perfectly okay. Hearing the words of scripture um, can kind of drill them into our minds and hearts uh, in a way that's significant, even without some quote-unquote experts who to uh, break it down for you, son. Um, so we're going to be doing that for the, for the next four weeks, reading these four passages of Scripture in, in worship. Um, the lectionary, if, you, if you're interested to know, 
runs on a three-year cycle. They call them year A, B, and C. Um, We're on year A now, so we're just sort of restarted. The idea being that after three years of going through the lectionary, if if you do, you'll have touched on almost all of Scripture. You don't get every single word. There are certain sections of Scripture that are kind of lacking. Um, But for the most part, it's a really good way to ensure that you're being exposed to lots of different texts that you wouldn't probably just open to on your own, right? Or in my case as a pastor and a preacher, I wouldn't just teach from these texts on my own. Sometimes during Advent and Lent, I'm like, oh, crap, I don't want to preach about that. It's there. (laughs) It's in the Bible. We've got to deal with it. So it's kind of of nice in that way, too. Um, So... I often say this, but if you are a person who's looking for how to, a way, a schedule to read Scripture devotionally, you could do a lot worse than following along with, um, with the lectionary texts. You can just do a Google search for lectionary. The first result will be uh, an online resource from um, Vanderbilt University Divinity School. And um, it's got the lectionary. It's very easy to, to, to follow along with. Now, one caveat is that this year we rearranged the lectionary texts a little bit. So if you just go to the lectionary online and go to the texts that are assigned for this Sunday, they're going to be different ones um, than we actually are doing this Sunday. Some of them will be the same, some will be different. We're going to hit all of them in the next four weeks, but we've just rearranged them a little bit to fit the theme of these three comings of Christ. So if you want to follow along devotionally with the scripture texts that we're going to be dealing with during Advent, there's two ways to do that. One is that each week... We've put together these um, spiritual practices cards, right? And it has the theme for the week. This week is slow down, wait, and prepare. And the texts that we're looking at today are all here. And then there's some suggestions for things that you can do on your own or with your family, if you're a family person, um, to celebrate and observe this season as we go. And Jesse put these together as well. So um, they're really good. And they're they're kind of different stuff than you probably would guess a church would put out for a bunch of spiritual disciplines. Like one of them is make an Advent playlist and one of them is maybe watch an apocalyptic movie um, uh, as we get to next week with the second coming stuff. So that's one way. I'm going to put these on the, uh, the communion table. I have not uploaded this to the website yet, but it will be up later today and I'll put a link on our Facebook page and all that stuff. You can find them if you just want to download the PDF, not waste any paper, that's fine. Each week, though, we will print out a handful of the cards for that week. All right, so that's one way. The other way is if you just go to our website, artisanchurch.com, and the first thing that comes up in the middle of the page is, is the series, Advent. looks just like this picture on the screen. If you click on that, you will see um, a listing of the, of the texts, or of the, of the sermon topics, and the texts are um, linked there as well. So I do want you to follow along with Scripture. I gave you that rather long explanation of that because if you just go to the lectionary like I usually tell you at this time of year, you're, you, won't be, you won't be in sync with us because we messed with it a little bit. That's the kind of thing we do. We like being rooted historically, but we just can't resist tinkering um, a little bit. So, um, where did I put my Bible? There it is. I'm going to read to you the last two lectionary texts that we're looking at today. And... Um, there's a tradition in churches that read lectionary texts uh, that you stand for the, when you get to the gospel reading. So could I ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel um, from Matthew chapter 3? If you'd like to follow along with the Bibles, you're welcome to, or you can just listen. Jesse mentioned um, Isaiah and Mary and John the Baptist. This week is a John the Baptist thing. 
In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. I want you to hear those words again. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him in all region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. These are religious sects within Judaism at the time. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. I would love to preach a long sermon on Matthew 3, 1 through 12. I'm not going to do it. But I want you to hear that prepare the way of the Lord because John the Baptist was saying that. Um, the, uh, the gospel writer is indicating that when John was, was crying out in the wilderness, he was fulfilling the prophecy from Isaiah, that other great anticipatory waiter in the Bible. Not like waiter, but like waiter, like a person who's waiting. Um, when he said, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John was preparing the people at the time for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, to earth, the incarnation, the humanity of God in that particular time in history. That time in history um, is past and we are living in its wake in many ways, but the coming of Christ into your own hearts is near. And so I want to encourage you and again, maybe even exhort you to prepare the way of the Lord, to make the path straight for God to your heart. There are obstacles in the way right now. I want you to get them out of the way because the coming of the Lord is at hand. I'm not trying to be apocalyptic right now. Like even the scripture writers got into a little bit of trouble when they were, like I think, looking back, you know, saying Jesus is coming back right this second didn't turn out to work that way. That's not where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is that some of you are absent from God right now. God is, is about ready to come to break into your heart and your soul. And I want you to prepare for that. That might happen for you this Advent season. So I think that the way that you prepare for that is to slow down. To slow down. So, if you're thinking about your life over the past three days and anticipating it over the next three weeks and it's chaos you need to fix that. You need to make the path for the Lord straight. All right. Last text. 
Isaiah. one through ten. This this text is, I'm going to not lie to you, is slightly bizarre. And it's going to seem weird to you. So what I would like to ask you to do is listen for the word shall. What does the word shall indicate? That something's going to happen in the future, right? So we're in that not yet space, right? Some of the not yet got fulfilled at the coming of Christ. 2,000 years ago. Some of the not yet won't be fulfilled until the second coming of Christ. Some of the not yet needs to happen in your hearts. You get these three big comings of Jesus. This one may have all three of them. All I want you to do is let the shall wash over you. All right? And this will be our meditation before coming to communion. All right, so following this text, we're going to jump right into a song. You guys can actually start coming up now if you want. Uh, and the table of the Lord will be open. You can respond um, there or at prayer or however you'd like. Let the shall wash over you a little bit. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Continue to worship God in song, at the table, and in prayer. You can go... um, Bring your kids in if you'd like to have them participate in communion with you. And if if not, please get them right after because I think our teachers are probably ready to to let you have them back. Um, Let's continue to worship and respond to the Spirit's call. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.